1: Now, here's the host of Love Never Fails Radio, founder and executive director of Love Never Fails, Vanessa Russell.
4: Thanks and welcome to Love Never Fails Radio. We're back. I have been out of pocket for a couple of weeks. I actually was on a business trip in Europe, flew to Amsterdam, Germany, Paris, and London, and... uh, I just had a blast of a time uh, meeting with some of my Cisco customers and also took my kids with me so that they can uh, uh, experience Europe. So that was quite a a great time. Thanks to all of you for your prayers and uh, for holding down the fort there at Love Never Fails, all the staff as I was uh, out and about in a different time schedule. Um so just want to sh- give a shout out to all of you guys. Um and also just welcome back all of our view all of our listeners here with Love Never Fails Radio. We have a- an awesome um guest today. Uh, she is someone who I've actually been uh, aligning with some of her work. Over the last couple of years, but never had the opportunity to actually meet her. And so, super excited to have Emily Kennedy, who is the uh, founder of Marinus Analytics and uh, a, a bit of a tech head, it looks like, who's using tech to fight against human trafficking. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Oh yeah. So I um, so just a little bit about your bio. You 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 outline here that you're passionate about how technologies like artificial intelligence can be used to solve social problems like human trafficking, and this was really something you started uh, to uh, think about as a teenager. Uh, you became uh, very focused on empowering women to know their power and live um, live out their passions, which is so awesome. And the area where 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 you and I um, connected, and I don't know how much you knew about what we were doing with your work, but um, you developing some solutions um, uh, early on in the fight um, with your uh, at Carnegie at Carnegie Mellon University Robotics Institute. I don't know if you know, but we were actually one of your pilot users of uh, your software and, and which and we used it to see if it would help us with our search and rescue practice which is called Project Look For Me in identifying locating and rescuing uh, people uh, using um, using a, a technique that we used uh, online uh, to to find ads and find different things about people online and so we used your software to see how it would complement what we were doing so thank you so much for um, for this work and for what you're doing to fight against human trafficking using tech for good
5: oh thank you i mean it's just something that I'm, I'm super passionate about and i'm i consider myself lucky to be able to work on something that i'm so passionate about yeah so today
4: we're gonna kind of explore that a little bit so tell us you know a little bit about you know in your teenage years this became a passion of yours um how did that happen
5: Yeah, so um, back when I first learned about human trafficking was before it was kind of so well known as it is in the U.S. now. The media is talking about it, and it's a really big topic for conversation. My first couple um, encounters with the topic were uh, I I was a teenager, um, and in my church group, one of the leaders, um, after he graduated college, he moved to FAPOC Cambodia in the red light district to uh, assist with rescue of children out of the child sex tourism slave trade there and um, I grew up in a bubble I grew up you know pretty sheltered pretty naive and that was just the first indication for me of wow there's you know terrible things happening in the world Um, and this was one example Um, and then I got the opportunity to travel through Eastern Europe at the age of 16 and not expecting to encounter anything related to this, but um, we were traveling through Eastern Europe, driving down from Hungary through Serbia and Macedonia, and we came across some smaller towns um, and we saw some children who were on the street. They were begging on the street and trying to wash our car windows. And, you know, that's pretty typical, nothing totally unusual about that, but um, they just seemed really desperate. I couldn't really put a finger on what it was exactly, but something just seemed off. And after we traveled through that area, I asked my friend who was traveling with us who was from that area, you know, was there something going on there? What was going on there? And he said, well, those children are most likely trafficked by the Russian mob, and they're trafficked in order to beg on the street and basically make money, and they have a certain quota to make each day. And if they don't make that quota every day, they'll be punished. Um, And, you know, these were children half my age um, up to, you know, my teenage years, and um, I was just really hit hard with that reality of, you know, coming from such a bubble, being really removed from a lot of what was going on in the world. And then seeing that firsthand really, really had an impact on me. Mm.
4: Yeah. And to think that people that were children that were not so far away from your age, right, were um, being used by a mafia. Right. And Mm -hmm. and and, you know, and so how did you feel uh, did you feel hopeless? Did you feel determined? What, what, what came? What are the emotions that came up for you that led you to start um, doing something right at that moment? Or was there a time that you, you didn't do anything at all and let it sort of culminate? What did you begin to do mm-hmm. there?
5: That's a great question. I would say back then, I never, I don't think I really considered much that I could do anything. I didn't really even think of that it was more of um not even a conscious thing but just it was such a horrific problem it was really like the worst thing I could think of and because of that I think it just stuck with me so um yeah at that time it wasn't even an intentional thing but just over the years I kept like thinking about that and thinking and then kind of over the years um as I became an older teenager, learning little bits, and again, there wasn't that much research at the time, but just learning little bits of, wow, okay, this happens in the U.S. Here's other permutations of it. You know, it's not just uh, children being forced to beg on the street. There's, you know, sex trafficking. There's labor trafficking. There's, um, you know, women who are looking from, for asylum in the U.S. from other countries where they're being, you know, uh, abused or try, uh, people are trying to kill them, you know, just kind of a whole range of different things that I learned about. And, and so I guess the intentional part was just trying to learn more because it was like this huge problem. And so I tried to pick up little pieces wherever I could learn. And it just turned out that by the time I got to college, there started to come out more studies. And, uh, you know, there's the book on sex trafficking by Siddharth Kara from Harvard, and and just kind of learning really as much as I could, um, to the point where I felt like, okay, I want to do something about this.
4: Yeah. So it it just planted a seed. And then when you went into college, it sounds like there was a platform for you to really take advantage of or to start to apply all of this passion that had built up in you. Wow. And I think that's where, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about is is really planting the seeds and then helping young people cultivate what they want to do. And I love that you mm-hmm. got a chance to meet with Brianna, um, who is one of our board members, a survivor leader that is just, um, you know, a young lady who, again, had this seed, um, a dream of being an entrepreneur planted and then went mm-hmm. through this mm-hmm. horrific experience of being, you know, being trafficked and mm-hmm. has found a way to bridge those two topics together and it's, you know, and, and now goes back to uh, not two topics, but two experiences together and now goes back into schools and, you know, does prevention education um, with our mm-hmm. protect collaborative and um, does uh, does p- public speaking and is in, you know, uh, out in, in uh, a um, out of state pro girls program and restoring young ladies and teaching them about entrepreneurship and her popcorn business and she's just amazing right and so oh my gosh yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's so amazing she's
5: fantastic <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah and so you know my passion is to not to um uh, just really to empower you know people like her mm-hmm. and and uh to find that way and so it sounds like whoever uh, so we're going to take a break but I would love to um I'd love to know uh, who you went to um to on your trip with, and um how much of an influence they had on uh, what you saw. It sounds like they were giving you some insight and some guidance, and love to hear some more about that as well because as we equipped young people, um it's important for those who are listening who have young people in their midst to be aware of how they can influence uh, you know their children, their nieces, their sure. nephews, in their community. Um, I have some observations, even myself, I'm from coming back from this Europe trip about how my kids, um, you know, how I can do more to encourage mm-hmm. them to be activists. So anyway, we will come back. Um, so much to talk about your A.I., you know, big data, the tech for good. Oh, my goodness. So much to talk about. Emily. we will come back right back. Uh, and thank you all for listening to Love Never Fails Radio. For
1: more information on this program, visit loveneverfailsus.com. That's loveneverfailsus.com. We'll be right back with more right after these messages Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst.
4: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We are in the studio today with uh, the founder of Marinus Analytics, and uh, her name is Emily Kennedy. Welcome again to the show, Emily. And... uh, She's been talking to us about how she uh, got started in this fight against human trafficking and the in the sort of bridging of uh, her passion for technology and uh, passion to help empower people who are enslaved women in particular and to live their best life. And so, Emily, um, going back to that first trip where you saw young people being uh, labor trafficked um, and maybe saved, slaved, uh, sex trafficked, um, who were you with when you went on that trip?
5: Yeah. So I was actually with my dad and I mean, he has had a huge influence on my life in this way.
4: Wow. And so he was the one who was educating you about being uh, the children being um, uh, required to um, meet a a, a threshold, a um, oh gosh, what's the word? Uh, A target for the day. And uh a quota rather there's the word mm. uh, a quota um it, was he the one who was kind of telling you about the dynamics of human trafficking
5: no that was actually a friend of his um, who was from Hungary uh, so he was a pastor that we were with and and so he was the one who told me about what was actually going on um so my dad yeah he didn't um, educate so much from the human trafficking perspective or the local knowledge perspective but Um, I grew up as an only child and I think my dad made one of his missions that I guess that I'm aware that the world doesn't revolve around me. Right. Right. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, dad. Oh, good job. Points
6: for dad.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's, I think he was like, okay, only child, you know, there's this tendency and he really wanted to protect against that. And, um, you know, I think it, just looking back I didn't really realize it at the time but looking back the opportunity to just get out of the bubble that I was in get out of the country that I grew up in see something else you know not just the the things that I saw in terms of human trafficking but just even the exposure to something different I mean the for instance the countryside in Albania is gorgeous I mean things that I never would have <laughs> known um, and and realizing like, how small I am as a person in relation to, like, what else is going on in the world Um, and kind of, like, getting outside of myself and seeing, you know, maybe the the problems that I have in my day-to-day life aren't so big and, you know, just little things like that I think really, really changed kind of the trajectory of my life and he always, like, I couldn't necessarily put a pinpoint on it, but since I can ever remember, my dad always um kind of raised me from the perspective of like, if you were given a lot of privilege or, you know, capabilities or things that you were just born with that you didn't earn, it's basically your responsibility and your duty to use those things to impact others, to make life better for other people. And, you know, it wasn't, I think it was a, a mix of like, actions and words because you know kids don't they're not going to just look at what you say they're going to look at what you do so it wasn't just this like explicit teaching i think it was just a whole mix of how he taught me and also how he raised me and how he kind of modeled that as well.
4: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the, your dad is my kind of guy for sure. Um <laughs> you know, my kids, so I grew up very poor. Um I was in foster care as a as a baby and mm. um you know, we were on welfare. We called it welfare at the time when growing up mm-hmm. and just very Uh, very poor. And so my kids don't have that experience at all. You know, I have a great job at Cisco and we, you know, we've, I'm a homeowner and um, we've moved and, you know, it's just into nice, these nice houses and whatnot. And, and so like your dad, I wanted to make sure that, that they, you know, that they have the ability to see that, you know, they're that this is not necessarily the, the experience that everybody has. And so
5: when
4: uh, uh, we went to Germany in uh, this trip, we went to Dachau, or I I think I'm saying it, the Hau is the proper pronunciation, the Hau concentration camp. I kept Mm. calling it Dachau. But it's where five, uh, it was where 200,000 Jewish non, you know, whoever the other is, uh, uh, folks in the time of World War II, that two hundred thousand people passed through that concentration camp. Mm. Sixty thousand people were murdered um, mm. there, and by by way of gas chamber, by way of hanging, by way of working, being worked to death. And uh, mm. there was a there was a on the gate of the camp. It said, "Work makes you free." And the whole notion of this camp was to work everyone to death, and it was based wow. on a um an ideology that Hitler had been promoting which was that Jewish people were were lazy and that work would make them mm-hmm. equip them to be um better people only they were working and only being fed you know some of them every 4 days of mm-hmm. you know the the worst living circumstances um disease everywhere mm-hmm. you know and um and traumatized to the nth degree yeah. and and so I didn't let my kids are 10 and 11 so I the, the youngest ones and so I didn't want them to see all of like I didn't let them see the yeah. there's a film that they showed where all the bodies are burned and mm-hmm. piled up high and but I let them kind of experience go into the barracks go into the gas chamber um see where people you know were being killed and understand that um this is um you know this is the part of our history And it really, whenever you can, number one, um, whenever you think that your privilege is so that you can live better than other people, then you lend yourself to hurting them when, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's so easy to see someone um, murdered or burned or whatever they did because they were, their, their death meant, you know, the 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 germans the nazis that were overseeing them their their success and it was Mm -hmm. it was a total you know like hitler came in and said you guys are hurting you you know we just lost the war world war one we're just you know we're distraught we have no money we're doing bad so the way that we do it is we find a common enemy and kill everybody Mm -hmm. you know kill these people off in the name of false propaganda so that and, and we'll become a rich nation and, and they did you know they were rich for yeah. a time but you know it's like this is for me it was the fundamentals of human trafficking it was the fundamentals mm-hmm. of any form of exploitation, exploitation or um, you know uh, harm to humanity and so I think it's our responsibility as parents as leaders in the community to educate kids on sort of not just human trafficking but what are the underlying issues that you know our heart condition you know our the way that we value people the way that we you know we stereotype people and justify mistreating them for our own gain you know and don't like Mm -hmm. you said take our privilege take our privilege um you know and use it for good and speaking of that you're doing that so you know you're doing that with your technology insights right and your education at Carnegie Mellon and you know maybe um we're we're actually almost out of time, but I want you to really take us through how you know your passion for tech in this next segment and you know and how you are using again this this opportunity you have uh, to learn about technology um to create applications and you know software and databases for um for uh, for for the good of those who are being trafficked so we're going to take a break we'll, we'll go to go to break now even though we've got a couple of minutes left we'll go to break we'll come back um, and hear directly from emily about what she's doing with tech and, and bridging bridging the gap there so we'll come right back thanks for listening to love never fails radio
1: to join in the fight for love visit love don't go away love never fails radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors
4: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. We're in the studio today with the founder of Marinus Analytics, Emily Kennedy. And she's just telling us about how she got started in this fight against human trafficking, even as a teenager. I did want to bring to your attention before um, we dig into um, a little bit more about her tech uh, capabilities and insights is um, I want to encourage you to become a Love Never Fails member. Uh, We uh, have a couple different membership levels. We have the Lighthouse membership. Uh, it's $10 a month. The Restore membership, it's $30 a month. That provides counseling for a survivor. The Educator is um, $50 a month, and that provides uh, the community education on how to how to prevent human trafficking and to stay safe. And then the Protector is $75 a month, and that is to ha- uh, sponsor one of our survivors in our Safe House program. And lastly, the Game Changer is $100 a month. And that is to sponsor an IT biz student in our, um, in our IT Academy. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about, you know, what you're going to share here, Emily, because I'm super passionate about using technology as a way to uh, provide sustainability for our survivors and the community, the people in the communities they live in. And so um, tell us more about how you got started with that part of what you're doing.
5: Sure. So that was, um, kind of an accident. So I was at Carnegie Mellon University studying ethics, history, and public policy, very interested in um, kind of essentially a pre-law study that I was doing. So very interested in philosophy and history, and then its application through public policy. And I was kind of building this momentum of like, okay, human trafficking, like this is the thing that I care about. This is what I'm trying to learn about, trying to build up, you know, my knowledge around. And then when it came time to do my senior honors thesis, I knew, I just knew, okay, I'm going to focus on human trafficking. I think it was all of those years of like this, that seed, like you said, Vanessa being planted and then um, kind of this culmination of like, okay, I'm going to focus my thesis on this, but then Um, when it came time to do it, I was talking to my advisor who was in the humanities and I had been really interested in seeing how sex trafficking had moved online over the past five, ten years at that time, how big websites like at the time it was Craigslist and Backpage had been used to facilitate this. And then kind of from an academic standpoint, really interested in Um, the effects when like one website would get shut down due to legislation or media outcry, how another website would like pick up the slack and the majority of the activity would move to the next website. And so really interested in it from a number of different standpoints. So I brought this idea um, to my advisor in the humanities about what if we can use, there's all this data online at the time it was like um, well we didn't know but I would assume around the time it was probably about a hundred thousand new ads every day in the U.S. which is what we know now at the time we didn't know but we knew it was a lot because we knew these websites were making a lot of advertising money and so I went to my advisor and said okay we've got all this data what if we could use it to Track and find victims and mm-hmm. track perpetrators and identify organized criminal networks because we're hearing all these. I had started to interview law enforcement at the point at that point, hearing all these stories of like, OK, there's these okay. um trafficking routes in the U.S. and there's, you know, these ways that the victims get transported. But there wasn't really any data to support that. So came to my advisor, said, okay, there's this data side. What if we use data to find victims? And he basically told me, you need to go find another advisor for that. You know, I'll advise you on the the humanities side, but you need to find someone who can really give you the tech perspective. So he gave me a couple names, um, and I basically just went down the list and pitched the idea to each one. Mm. And there was one in particular who was a professor, still is, a professor in the Robotics Institute at Carnegie Mellon, and he's the director of the Auton Lab, and his name is Dr. Archer Dubrowski. I emailed him with my kind of cold pitch. And I kid you not, I think it was like within five hours, he emailed me back. He said, hey, come in tomorrow. Let's talk. I went into the office. I pitched the idea and I learned that his lab was basically looking at um, and developing machine learning research solutions to problems like epidemic detection, um, food safety, nuclear threat detection. And he was really inspired by the idea of applying it to the human trafficking problem. Nice. And so he brought in, you know, some Really, really smart programmers. We started brainstorming. And I remember I left that meeting with this feeling of like, Uh-oh. oh my gosh, like found I'm it. in <laughs> over my head. Yeah, like I'm totally in over my head, but this is like a good feeling, but it was kind of like at the top of the roller, roller coaster kind of feeling, but it was good. I was like, okay, I'm on the right track here. <laughs> yeah.
4: Oh man. Sounds like you found like a little bit of your purpose there, huh? Mm-hmm. Nice. So you so you sat down with these developers and with him and you guys pulled together a plan and um, and then launched the app there at Carnegie Mellon. Um, And again, uh, we were one of the pilot users and um, we actually found it to be quite good. The the challenge for us is we were really immersed in using some of the other apps directly where, and so Mm -hmm. we've had found that we could find people pretty easily in our, using our own uh, methods without a front end Mm -hmm. tool. But, but, but what has happened is the tools are evolving so quickly that, um, you know, doing it sort of that manual processing and in in the approach needed to be adapted for every environment and so okay. I love the idea of, of of leveraging artificial intelligence to do some machine learning right some some quicker analysis if you will um, to okay. figure out where people are um, and not necessarily be dependent on um on a in-depth knowledge of the, of the environment and the platform. And I think that's the part that, um, I was, you know, I'm really excited about the availability because some, as you said, Redbook is no longer available. Craigslist has reorganized their data, um, uh, Backpage, they've reorganized their data and they've, it's, it's being made. It's very difficult with some of the way that, um, the pictures are being taken and the, um, the way the ads are created, it's made it a little bit more challenging. Have you guys sort of been evolving the tools or like is Carnegie Mellon still doing the project, even though you've formed Marinus analytics or how does that work together?
5: Yeah. So, um, it took a couple of years to get traffic jam actually out. So that's short, what it was called. Traffic uh, jam. Yeah.
4: I forgot yeah. what it was called. Okay.
5: No. Yeah. So the short timeline is basically that i uh released my thesis called predictive patterns of sex trafficking online which is still available online if you google it um that came out in 2012 and then I from there on after I graduated I continued working on it um as a research analyst at the lab then in 2013 we deployed the first version of Traffic Jam which was like now it's light years behind what we do now but you know you got to start somewhere and mm-hmm. um So yeah, once we spun out of Carnegie Mellon, uh, we still collaborate with them pretty closely on some research projects. Um, We love working with them, and our company is based in Pittsburgh, so uh, we work closely with them. Um, Just one example was that we did a really cool study looking at the Super Bowl and 33 other events to see in the data what was actually the statistical impact of these events. On the activity that was going on, so um, you can find that on NBC Universal if you just Google public events, Super Bowl, sex trafficking, mm. something like that. Um, you can find that, but just doing doing research uh, research studies like that to say, okay, we have the data. What is the data actually telling us? Because a lot of the approaches that have been taken to date um, have just been very like based on anecdotal stories and. Uh, personal observations and those aren't bad, but it's it's always better if we can inform those also with, with data driven insights.
4: Absolutely. And is your background in tech or is it more in um, in analytics and kind of dealing with numbers and statistics or or both?
5: Great question. So uh, people often think that I am the programmer genius behind Traffic Jam. I am not. Uh, I came from the humanities background, so I'm really on the side of, um, and kind of my whole mission thus far has been being the one who connects the genius programmers, the people who are building awesome research and tools with the law enforcement and the government agencies who need them, who otherwise probably wouldn't come across those tools and wouldn't wouldn't be able to develop them themselves or if they did you know this is kind of a side note but we've seen a lot of government agencies struggle with getting into these legacy contracts for instance for like huge dollar uh, development contracts for technology and then the moment something changes they're they're stuck and they're not able to get uh, evolved insights quickly and so that that was really important to us that we as a startup can move really quickly. So, for instance, with the Backpage shutdown earlier this year, with other changes that evolve in this space, I mean, we got into – Uh, the space of fighting human trafficking, knowing that it's a very evolving space, it changes quickly. And so basically, basically we had the boxers mentality of you have to be constantly pivoting, ready to adapt and change to what's needed. And so, for instance, with the Backpage shutdown, we were able to react really, really quickly, find where the um, new activity was moving, because we already knew that was going to happen. And so The ability, our ability to react quickly is hugely important for law enforcement so that they don't have to be you know, doing what they might have to do in the past, like negotiating a new development contract, you know, by the time they start the negotiations with their contractors, we've already like started up a bunch of new crawlers, you know, so it's exactly that's, like, the kind of light year's change that we're looking to make for law enforcement.
4: Absolutely. I think that's the piece that we're missing, um, you know, with Project Look For Me and one that I'd love to drill down with you on. Um, we're going to take sure. a break. Uh, and we'll come right back. Uh, I'd like to talk some more about what you're finding with your. So I'm looking at your NBCUniversal.com page, and so um, uh, you know maybe some of the trends that you guys have observed, and uh, okay. and uh, and then we'll we'll learn a little bit more about that. So we'll come right back. Uh, and thanks all for listening to Love Never Fails Radio.
1: For more information on this program, visit LoveNeverFailsUs.com. That's LoveNeverFailsUs.com. We'll be right back with more right after
2: these messages. Trash bills weighing you down? At Case Industries, we specialize in lowering waste costs and providing trash consolidation and compaction services for multifamily properties, condos, and commercial shopping centers. Let us help you reduce operating expenses and increase property NOI. Case Industries, saving the planet, saving you money. Contact us today for a property trash and recycling assessment online at caseindustries.us or call 510 566 4223. That's caseindustries.us or call 510 566 4223. Case Industries, the property manager's friend.
1: Welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio, where you are invited to turn your compassion into action and love those in your midst.
4: And welcome back to Love Never Fails Radio. Again, we're in studio today with uh, Emily Kennedy, who is the founder of Marinus Analytics. And she is just sharing with us the way in which she's been used as a bridge between law enforcement and government agencies and the tech programmer community and creating an offer that allows us to dynamically understand how people are being sold online and um, the, the way in which human trafficking is leveraging technology to uh, to to proceed to to continue and so tell us about some of the things that you've learned and the observations that you've learned and maybe you know some of the things that you've been able to head off because of this amazing capability that you you've developed
5: yeah absolutely so I like to touch on a couple of things um the first one I'll throw out there is just that um, when people hear about facial recognition they hear about AI they get nervous or they get scared of it and Certainly, these are very powerful tools, just as, you know, other developments that we've seen in the last couple hundred years are were huge changes. This is a huge development. Um, but I think there's a lot that's misunderstood. So, for instance, The Guardian put out an article in the last week about how the media gets artificial intelligence wrong. Highly recommend reading that. But what it basically covers is that... Um, in the media, it tends to get blown up in terms of the capabilities. Um, and really, existing AI is not on the level of what most people think it is. It's, it's very good, but um, it's not, you know, on the, the level of what we see in the movies at this point. It's just nowhere near that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's important that, that we use these tools for good. So one of the... Um, Kind of more recent developments that we released was our facial recognition tool face search. We re- released that last year and um, that is a tool so that detectives can come in with a photo of a victim. Um, we've seen in one example that was actually in the San Francisco area. Detectives had a photo of a 16-year-old girl who is believed to be sold online for sex. She was actually pictured in an online news article because her family came out and said she's missing. We think she might be in the online sex trade. And they had her photo posted on the, the article. And so these detectives were able to take that photo from the family, run it through face search, and immediately find where she was being advertised. Um, they found her most recent ads and they were able to go set up a date with her and conduct a successful rescue, as well as arrest two of her traffickers for human trafficking. Wow. Amazing. So these are, you know, yeah, previously unprecedented results. But the thing is, again, like I think I think people view uh, machine learning and AI as kind of this black box where you push a button and then you get the immediate answer out of it. Um, yeah. And that's just not really how it how it works in the sense that we absolutely need what we call a human in the loop, which is basically uh, some sort of human supervising what's happening with the AI so that they can give input. So, for instance, when the detectives get this match... They have to sanity check it. They have to look at, do the phone numbers you know, match with the person? Does the location match? So it's not that they're just getting these results and then going blindly out. We're not throwing, we're not totally trying to replace a detective's job, and we're not trying to throw all of their investigative uh, tactics and their required ethics that they should have in their job. We're not throwing that out the window. We're just giving them another tool that they can use to kind of reduce the manual time that they'd have to go through this information. In fact, I had, before we released Face Search, I had an FBI analyst tell me that in order to find missing children sold online for sex, she would have to print out the photo of the victim, tape it to her computer, and manually scroll for hours and hours through mm-hmm. ads hoping mm-hmm. that she could find this person. Right. And it's just extremely time-intensive, and because we know that these people are often moved frequently across cities and states, what's the likelihood you're even looking in the right location, you know? So um, the fact that we can cut that process down to them being able to, in that case that I mentioned, find that, um, that girl and reunite her with her family within a week. I mean, that's, that's just the kind of insane results that we're looking to, to provide.
4: Absolutely. And I can tell you um, from my standpoint, that's exactly what w- we actually had a methodology, but we also spent many, many hours with paper, you know, pic- uh, not a paper, a digital mm. pic- picture of someone and scrolling through images, mm-hmm. you know, and ads. Unfortunately, and then we had another methodology that we used having to do with the um, the things that people were uh posting about themselves um sometimes we were able to find some interesting correlations there um but mm-hmm. and that has changed so much with um now people not using their face as much in pictures and mm-hmm. also um, embedding their phone numbers in the image so they're, you know, mm-hmm. we'd have to scrape the image and somehow, um, you know, take the the number out of the image itself as opposed to free text, right? Free form text. Yeah. And so, so we, we are you fixing that? Uh-huh. that? Yeah. Okay. We,
5: yeah. Yeah. Cool. We can now um, actually extract, even I've seen, which is crazy, but uh, handwritten text can be extracted out of photos. So yeah, that was definitely... Just another example of how, uh, you know, our team is built to pivot quickly and respond quickly because, yeah, those things change all the time Mm -hmm. and there's always new ways that they're trying to uh, evade being, being tracked. Well, right now, we're
4: in the search for a 17-year-old that's missing, and I uh, would love to talk with you offline about how we can, um, you know, uh, support uh, each other in that regard, working yeah, with uh, happy to. Uh, East Palo Alto PD, working with a variety of other players, Um mom very concerned about her daughter. And um, mm-hmm. so if uh, the listening audience could p- please be lifting up this young lady who's on our Project Look for Me page, uh, who's been mm-hmm. missing now uh, since the beginning of June, 17-year-old. Um, and, uh, you know, these are the things th- these come across my desk all the time. Again, um, you know, when I was really keeping on top of the way that the apps worked and, um, and the new ones that were popping up, we were, we were very, you know, we've been able to rescue, uh, with the support of law enforcement, over 90 women and children.
6: Mm. So,
4: um, that's amazing. yeah. And so, and that's just like lay people learning how to work with these tools, but, the more we can support your work, I think we'll have uh, like the scale that's needed, because I think you point out mm. um, you're not you, there's no need to replace like an FBI agent or law enforcement. What? There's not enough of them to find the yeah. missing children. You know, we have what what is it like something like 60,000 missing children um, in California alone? Um mm-hmm. You know, and so law enforcement. There's not enough of those resources, which is why we started. Do you know why we started Project Look for Me? Because we noticed that there just wasn't enough cycles on the part of the you know the missing uh, children teams um, within law enforcement to um, find the child and do all the legwork. You know, putting up flyers in the community, comforting the mom, and um, you know, doing a social media campaign and all of those things that are needed to actually, mm-hmm. you know, locate the child um, or the yeah. or the and, at-risk adult. So,
5: Oh, yeah. And you make such a great point that it's, again, it's not about replacing the jobs because there's not enough people. Like you said, it's about accelerating that work and doing more than we could originally with their
4: existing resources. Exactly. I will say that um, just as, you know, on the side of AI, you know, with, with the concern, I want to acknowledge that we've here on this show talked about the impact that AI is having when, Um, when businesses replace entry-level positions with an AI solution Mm. and that entry-level position is often the position that a survivor of human trafficking might have might have taken once they get out of the life and so that is a concern and something that I'm challenging some of the corporations out there to think about you know it's like Mm -hmm. on one hand let's use tech for good and but let's also be very thoughtful about how we replace entry level jobs and the impact to teenagers, young people who, you know, vulnerable people who rely on those jobs, um, mm-hmm. to, to live for sustainability. So. Uh, that's another topic right Emily <laughs> like I'm yeah. not going to solve oh, that sure. one <laughs>
5: no I want to keep discussing it though like
4: yeah like, for sure yeah so okay we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to hear more from you about any events that you have going on in the community and ways in which people might be able to leverage uh, your software and or request uh, you know getting involved with you in some way so we'll come right back uh, and thanks all for listening to Love Never Fails Radio
1: To join in the fight for love, visit loveneverfailsus.com. Don't go away. Love Never Fails Radio will return right after these messages from our sponsors.
7: This is Dr. Miluna Fauch. I am honored to serve on the advisory board of Love Never Fails, where each voice matters as lives are restored. Thank you for your support. Let's face it, you are making a pitch for something every day. Your verbal communication skills are the key to your professional and personal success.
1: and love those in your midst.
4: Thank you so much for being with us today, Emily. How can people get more information about what you're doing?
5: Absolutely. So um, we are, our reach is pretty broad. So we serve local, state, and federal law enforcement across the United States and Canada. And now we're working in the UK, and we're also um, looking to branch out internationally otherwise. Um, and so you can find our info on our website. It's www.MarinusAnalytics.com. That's M-A-R. R i n u um, s, and then all of our social links are on there. And then you can also follow me because I post a lot about these issues. Um, and I'm at Hey Emily Kennedy pretty much everywhere: Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and I'm always posting on there. Um, so. Uh, Both those places you can find us and on our website, you can sign up for our email list where we send updates on, uh, you know, latest success stories, um, conferences that we're going to be at um, and things like that. So people can kind of keep up to date on what we're doing. And I like to post a lot about artificial intelligence, implications for the future. And so uh, you can find that there as well. Awesome.
4: Wonderful. Well, thank you again for um, being with us. I'm just going to go through some community events that we've got going on. Uh, We are going to Uh, be doing our monthly uh, prayer time our community prayer time and we as you all know we have changed our brand from not my city when we were really in a a position of coming against uh, human trafficking to love my city so we're about uh, transitioning our message over to really how can we love on the community um, and not just focused on human trafficking and, and pushing it out but loving everyone that is there and so I'm super excited about that change and we are meeting at 6 p.m. in a community near you. And uh, please reach out to Chantel if you'd like to participate. And she's at prayer at com. We have our street outreach on August 18th at 7 p.m. to midnight. And um, we will be reaching out to the homeless and exploited in a community near you. And RSVP is on our website at loveneverfailsus.com forward slash events. Or you can email Angela at streets at love, never fails us.com And lastly, on the 26th of August, we're going to, I'll be speaking at 9th. 30 and 11 o'clock in the morning at the San Francisco lighthouse church and, um, And that will be really exciting. We have our very own Erica Mapp, uh, who you've heard on the radio show earlier. She's actually going to be sharing a few words, and she'll sing that day, ministering in song and uh, dancing from Tiana Smith again as part of our Love Never Fails tour. So you don't want to miss that on Sutter Street in San Francisco. Uh, Would also like to give a quick shout out, super excited and grateful to our new members. Uh, We have Marcus Turner and Pam Kojimoto. Hey, Pam. Hey, Marcus. Marcus, thank you so much for signing up and becoming members of our, uh, uh, becoming one of our members and participating in supporting us financially. We could not do it without you. Um, And then, of course, I want to encourage you to come to our community store, which is on uh, in Hayward, on Grant Street. Come on out, support us, support the work that we're doing to restore survivors of human trafficking. And lastly. Thank you so much, uh, Emily. Uh, thanks for being with us. And thanks mm, to thanks all. Thanks for having me, Vanessa. Absolutely. We, we just so appreciate you. And, and of course, we want our listening audience to know, if you haven't heard it before, we want you to know that you are loved.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on Love Never Fails Radio.